0: Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. What did he do to get
1: a hug like that from LeBron just a moment ago? We'll show you. He just won seven. With a half court hooker. Look at this shot. Oh, my. He probably enjoyed the hug by LeBron more than the money. The <laughs> longest sky hook in American <laughs> Airlines Arena history and maybe the greatest hug Hakedown. Oh, man. Very rarely would you see a, a contest at a timeout generate the kind of excitement and energy it did in this building. And okay, that guy, Michael been the worst looking shot with with the best end result I have ever seen. It doesn't matter. How many of you guys would like that to happen to you, right? $75,000, whatever it was, get in the game. Before we get into this week's message, I've kind of teased out on Facebook that we have a big announcement uh, for the church, and the big announcement is that we're going to actually be changing our service time starting in March, and here's what we're going to do, and here's why. Uh, There's several reasons why. One, uh, I'll get into this in just a little bit, but... uh, We, right now we have our 10 o'clock, which is our prime time service. This morning, every seat was filled in our 10 o'clock. We had to bring in extra rows of chairs. So we were over a hundred percent capacity in our 10 o'clock service. Uh, and we're our first service, it had probably 60 70% full as well. And then you guys look around at this service. This is our third service. This is a decently uh, filling up service, okay? And so what we're trying to do, though, is to spread out the load. So we want to have not just one primetime service as our 10 o'clock. We want to have two primetime services. So we're going to m- move the times around a little bit. We're going to have a 930 and an 11.15 service. Here's what that's gonna do. That's gonna give us two more prime time slots by manipulating the time just a little bit, but it also gives us 15 minutes in between those two services so you don't have to just rush in and rush out like cattle going in and out, right? So it'll give us more time to connect. How many of you guys would like more time to actually connect instead of just running in and out? So we're being extremely intentional about doing this and giving you space to connect. Here's what that will also do. Uh, That will give us uh, more opportunities even before the service to be able to have fellowship times, maybe even a breakfast once a month or time to connect in those ways. So it's going to be an amazing time uh, to do that. And that'll give us two primetime services. And what we're going to also do is we're going to move Elevate to Wednesday nights. We've known that this is, going to be, this is going to be happening for some time now, and here's why. Most youth ministries are on Wednesday nights, and it's a very strategic reason why. It's a midweek connection for the teenagers, but it's also, for most teenagers, it's the best time that they can connect with their friends and, and invite a friend. And so we've known this for a long time, that we were going to make this move, and now is the right time. And the reason why we're going to be moving that uh, time is to make room to have our first evening service. We're going to start at 6 o'clock on Sunday night uh, starting in March. And so there are several people, police officers or nurses or people with rotating schedules who just cannot uh, get to church because of their work schedules. And so we're moving all of that around to be very intentional to be able to grow. And here's what will happen instantly. Our church will instantly grow by this one move. It'll grow because of the two service times in the morning, but it'll also grow because of several people who cannot make it right now that want to continue, that want to come every week that just cannot and so some of you guys might be like well man you're messing with my service time or you're messing with whatever well here's the deal <clears throat> That we are family around here, aren't we? And we're, we are trying to not be consumeristic, right? How many of you guys do not want to be consumeristic? If it's all about you, if it's all about your service time, if it's all about your chair. Listen, you got to break that off. We're trying to grow to reach more people. And so we're family around here, and that's what we're going to do. It's going to be awesome because we'll be able to also have times where in the evening time, we'll be able to even share a meal possibly together uh, to have more strategic times of connection. This also allows us for next fall, if not sooner, to add a fourth service. Because as you can see, we're going to need a fourth service. And so we will have this test run between now and then to be able to see, do we need to add the service as the evening? Is that going to fill up? Or do we need to add a third service back to the morning? And so many people are going to be able to participate uh, where they cannot participate right now. And so we've known about this for years and been planning this. And it just as we were praying together as a leadership team, we just really felt like now is the time. So starting in March, we're going to have new services. Times new opportunities, and I believe that it's going to see a lot of fruit as we do that. All right, so that's the big announcement. All right, let's get into the series today. Uh, the series uh, is called "Get in the Game," and I want to tell you, talk you through a story in Scripture where Jesus calls the first disciples, and it's found in Luke chapter five. Starting off in verse 1 through verse 11. Let me read it to you, and we're going to learn some things through this story today. Uh, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. And so getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So he's basically creating a stage with the boat and creating some amplification by the water and being able to speak to this very large crowd that had gathered. And so when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered, he said, master, we've toiled all night. We caught nothing. You see, in the evening time in that, where they were at, that was the best time for the fish. And they had tried the best time with nothing. How many of you guys, that's your whole fishing life, right? I mean, like, we caught nothing. That's my fishing life. He said, we caught nothing. But at your word, nevertheless, at your word, we'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, uh, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled over to their partners in another boat, and they said, come over here. And they filled up both boats, and now this big miracle that Jesus did of all these fish, now they need another miracle because they're getting ready to sink. And so they get back, uh, they start to make it back to land. But Peter, in the meantime, he fell fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at this great catch of fish that was taken in. And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything and followed Jesus. This is an amazing story of somebody that when they met Jesus... It completely changed their life. Now, Jesus was all about the crowd. He didn't mind having the crowd around him, but after he was done talking to the crowd, he said, go out into the deep. You see, Jesus doesn't mind a crowd, but what he's actually after is disciples. And he's actually after followers. You see, the crowd was fine. The crowd was just gonna be the crowd, but he says, let's go off into the deep because I want to have some actual disciples. Attending a meeting is fine, but what I'm really after is disciples. Get this in your spirit. Jesus never said Attend me. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus never said, attend me. He said, follow me. That means everything is on the table. How many of you guys know there's a difference between a fan and someone who's in the game? I mean, if you're, how many of you guys have a favorite sports team? How many of you guys like the Chiefs? Any Chiefs fans in the house? We were pretty disappointed, weren't we? I mean, we're, we're still licking our wounds from that one. Uh, how many of you guys, Royals fans? You got any Royals fans in the house? <clears throat> All right, you guys are quiet uh, this time. They were cheering, they were standing up in last service. Uh, how, how many of you guys, how about college? How, how, do we got any MU fans? They got booed in the second service, Jason. They did, I'm telling you. How many Mizzou fans? You got any? Woo! There you go, there you go. All right, how about any KU fans? <laughs> all right. All right, so you <laughs> sooner. Um all right. So you got your, and so here's what fans do. The definition of being a fan is somebody who spends a lot of time and a lot of money uh, investing in some entertainment or some sort of sporting event. And so you see fans, it'll be crazy. If you, have you guys ever been to a Chiefs game or a Royals game? You actually went, you go in there, you pay a bunch of money for parking, you tailgate, you spend money doing all that time and money. You guys are like painting your bellies and stuff like that and negative degree. And you're screaming on your team at the top of your lungs you got no, Uh, breath left you're getting beer poured out all over you you go it takes you like two years to get home from the game I mean just driving out of the parking lot you're spending money you're buying the jersey you're doing all of this stuff but no matter how hard you cheer no matter how much work you go into no matter how your voice doesn't work anymore when that team wins and holds up the trophy at the end of the day you had nothing to do with that win I know some of you guys are like, yeah, I did. I wore my lucky underwear for like three weeks. So, I mean, that's why they won. You no, know, you had nothing to do with the win. And, and here's the thing. It's one thing to be a fan of a sports team, but Jesus never said, be my fan. Jesus never said, attend me. Jesus said, follow me. So what does that look like? What does it look like to actually follow Jesus instead of just being a fan? Let me tell you a couple of stories about this. There, there's nothing like getting in the game. There's nothing like getting in the game to play. I went I grew up and went to school and in this school there were 180 people, 180 kids, not my class, 180 kids, not my grade, not Not junior high, because I was in junior high at the time. This is the whole school. I'm talking about kindergarten through 12th grade, 180 people. There were 13 people in my class. And so I was in junior high, and we had a basketball team. Now, when you're in a small school like that, and you've got small classes like that, there are no tryouts. If you volunteer, you're on the team, right? So I was on the team. We only had eight people on the team. There's five people that get to start and play, and and so there's only eight people. I rode the bench, small school, junior high, only eight people. I rode the bench. Do you know how embarrassing that is? I mean, do you know how embarrassing that is when, when the starter, one of the starters on the team was my younger brother who was in a grade below me? you know how embarrassing that is? The guy who was sitting next to me on the bench, he barely made it to the bench because he was so out of shape. And it's like me and this other guy and one other person. And I'm like, this is so embarrassing. And I just was sitting there and just game after game, just never get to play. It's a sob story. Um, until this one moment when a coach called my number. And, and if you've ever played basketball with me, you know this. I have zero talent. But what I do have is I have a lot of luck, a lot of tenacity, and a strong prayer life. So, I mean, <laughs> so sometimes things happen. And so I'm out... So he calls my number, and I come out, and for whatever reason, I get the ball right off, and I run to this spot. It was just inside the three point line. I remember it like it was yesterday it 's like glory. Day. maybe it gets better every time I tell. but I'm, I'm, so I shoot the ball, no kidding, first, right out of the gate, swish i 'm more surprised than anybody is, you know, And so I run down there 's like adrenaline pumping through me i 'm no kidding. I go and I steal the ball immediately on that next play. I run down to the exact same spot, and I throw it up again swish right through it. And I'm just like, man, I'm like the Michael Jordan, you know, like when he's like walking off like, I don't know, you know. And so I run down. I'm not kidding you. I go and I steal the ball a third time. I run down to the same spot, air ball, brick, boom. They pull me out of the game. But there there was nothing like being in the game. It was about being in the game. I finally got there. Also in junior high, which ought to be outlawed, by the way. I was in junior high and we were having gym class and they were, going to play flag football in the middle field in between the track or in the middle of the track. And and so we're all there with our flag football uh, flags and they start choosing teams and they pick people and, okay, you're going to choose team. I start to do the math. I'm looking, I may be picked last. And sure enough, it gets down to it and it's me and this other person and they pick them and I'm standing there. You know how embarrassing that is? This was (laughs) co-ed. I picked Last. And so my little, this little four foot 11 scrawny little kid, anger was welling up on the inside of me. And I'm just like, what did I do to tick these people off somehow to make this happen? And so uh, we started playing and I'm wide open. No one's throwing me the ball. Like, oh, maybe they just didn't say, I get to the next play. I'm wide open. No one's throwing me the ball. This happened time. To, I'm in the position so they could do a toss back when they're in trouble. They did not throw me the ball. For whatever reason, it was an act of God, it was a fluke. I don't know what happened, I end up with the ball. And all of this anger just welled up on the inside of me. And it's like slow motion, I remember this. I'm like, I'm just plowing through and I'm determined that I am going to make it to the goal. And I start, I knock down big guys. I knock down little guys. I knock down women. I knock down the children. (laughs) And everybody's standing back like, what happened to this guy? What happened was I finally got in the game. And that feeling of being in the game, that's the type of feeling we ought to have when it comes to the things of God. That we're not on the sidelines, well, I'm just a fan, I don't really want. No, really, coach, put me in. I get to be in the game. That's what it should be like. Sadly, that's not what it's like for most of us. You know, A lot of times we're just content just being a fan when it comes to getting in the game. Now, we have a mission statement here at our church we're going to put it up on the screen. And I want us to all say this mission statement together. Let's read it together. It says, Our mission is to see people far from God rescued with real life in Christ. Now, it doesn't matter how good of mission statement you have or how bad of mission statement you have. It doesn't matter how good it is if you're not participating in it. And, and so here's, let me just step on some toes this morning. I'm pretty good at that. So um, it's like a spiritual gift. Um, We evidently have a lot of fans at Journey. We evidently have a lot of fans. When I look at the stats, and we begin to look at these stats, when we started this uh, thing of better before bigger this year, that's, that's the word that God gave us to focus on. I started to look at the stats, and we discovered that there are 121 adults who are serving somewhere in our church, and 34 teenagers or children serving in some sort of capacity. Now, Praise God. Can we just celebrate those people who are serving? I mean, that's, that's awesome. Let me tell you something about these people who are serving. Let's see you, Josh. Uh, he's taking off. All right. Uh, let me tell you something about people who are serving. Uh, these guys, many of them, are serving in multiple areas. They are picking up the slack. They are the blood, sweat, and tears. They make this thing run. And 120, or really 150, when you look at the the teenagers and stuff involved, that's a pretty good number of people who are involved until you pit it against the fact that today we'll have somewhere, uh, probably over, by the crowds we've had today, over 500 people come through our doors today. We have 650-something adults in our active database that we've just recently cleaned up of people who come through the doors in in any given month as a part of a regular rotation. Our, our list uh, that's active right now is somewhere around 1,100 people. So then when you take that number of 150 and pit it against the 1,100, it looks like we've got about 10 to 20% of the people doing 100% of the work. That's not God's best for a church, is it? That's just not God's best. It's not God's best in a family. It's not God's best in a business. It's not God's best for our lives. And so uh, here's here's what, We've do. we got our Discover the Journey class, and even in 2016, we had many people go through our Discover the Journey class, signed a partnership card which says, I'm going to participate, (laughs) and are not serving and not participating anywhere. And around here, what we've discovered is it's okay to measure attendance, but we're not going to measure attendance anymore as a strong measurement of how we're succeeding. What we're going to do is we're going to start measuring engagement. People who are actively engaged, not sitting in a chair. And that's going to be our number. And this year, we want to, and this is not even a big goal, but it's, I believe it's attainable at least, and I believe it's shooting a whole lot more than where we're at. We want to double the number of people who are actively engaged at Journey Church and who will be on Team Journey. So by the end of this year, we want to see that number at 300 people instead of 150 people who are serving somewhere, who are serving in our outreaches, who are serving on a Sunday or some of the other ministries who are actively participating in church. Because membership equals participation. And if you say, this is my church, it equals participation. And here's how we're going to measure it, okay? We're going to measure it by this. Three things. Completion of Discover the Journey class. So you know who we are, what we believe. The second thing that we're going to measure is, are you serving somewhere? And the third thing we're going to uh, measure is, are you giving regularly? Those three measurements are biblical, uh, biblical process for being a part of a local church. And so we're going to ramp that up. That's what this series is going to be about. That's what we're going to be challenging you all year to give you easy opportunities to get in the game. Now, that may be convicting to some. That may turn off some. But I'm telling you, that is God's best for people who say, I'm part of a church and I want to hook up with a church. So we're shifting from measuring attendance to measuring engagement. Uh, We want to double that number. Because why? Authentic discipleship is always more about giving than it ever is about getting, isn't it? That's authentic discipleship. Jesus never said, attend me. Jesus said, follow me. And so we want to help you along that journey and to help you follow Jesus and participate in this way. Now, it's well known around here that I have a stupid dog. I do. I have three dogs now. I don't know how I got the third one. My kids just talked me into it. and Next, poof, there's another dog there. But I have a stupid dog. Now, this dog, how many of you guys are familiar with like an invisible fence you get for your pet? An invisible fence is a little wire that goes around the area. You put these collars on, and they, they send a, a beep noise before they get to the line. And if they cross over the line, they get a shock. No, I haven't tried it out. That's always the next question. No, I haven't. Uh, but that's what happens. So, we put this on this dog and this dog just runs without any consideration of anything. He just is laser-like target. will just run and you could yell at him. You could kick him. You could, not that I've done that. You could throw a brick at him. Not that I've done that either, but you could do anything. It would not. He just laser-like focus and he would run through the beep and he would run through the shock. He wouldn't even get the shock. So he never stayed in the fence. Well, we went through all of these different training things and finally got him to stay in the fence. So now everything's going good. Time goes by. One day I get up and the dog's gone. Like, what happened to the dog? Eventually he comes back. Next morning, dog's gone again. Comes back. This happened for a few days. Finally I watched and he went to this little spot behind our shed I'm like, you sneaky little stupid dog, what are you doing back there? And so I watched him, and I went back over there, and the line that we had, uh, it wasn't a buried line, but it was was underneath stuff, and grass had grown over the line, and, and boards and stuff had fallen on top of the line, so that when the dog came up to that spot in the fence, he got no beep, he got no warning of any kind, and so he thought, this is the portal to the outside world. This became the portal to the outside world. And so the dog kept going to the portal of the outside world and escaping. And so I'm like, well, fine. I moved all the boards, get the wire on top of the grass and everything, and I watched the dog the next day. He walks up. I tell, I know that he hears the beep. He walks up. I watched the dog get shocked as he's jumping over. I'm like, what? Because this is the portal to the outside world in his mind. And now he's, he doesn't even associate it with it not being, there not being a shock. And so uh, the next day, everything keeps, he does the same thing day after day after day. He just blows right through it. He doesn't even care. He just blows right through it. So I'm like, what can I do? And so finally, I erected a fence just over that one little spot <laughs> to, become, to, to close up the portal to the outside world. And I watched the dog, and sure enough, he walks up to it. Oh, the portal's closed, and he, he has been in the fence ever since. <laughs> How do you guys know that dog can get out the same way in any spot in my yard? He could go through the same spot and break through, but he's a stupid dog. And so he just he, just, he stayed in the fence. Now, why do I share that? It's because I, as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, many of us, we stay locked up in the same fence. We could break out anytime, but we've got these little five-foot fences that now have become our barrier. They're not real barriers, but they've become our barriers. And so I want to talk about some fences that we need to knock down if we, need, if we want to get in the game. Peter had to knock down every one of these fences. And so I want to talk about these fences. The first fence is this. When it comes to getting in the game, it's the what fence. Like what am I supposed to do? What I want to do is not available. What am I supposed to do? And so we have this little fence that becomes a barrier from us getting in the game. It becomes the what Fence, and we begin to dwell on the what fence. Luke chapter five verse ten, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, "Do not be afraid." Now think about this. He's a fisherman, you know. Jesus, he's getting ready to give his life to Jesus, and all this stuff. He says, "Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men." What? (laughs) I mean, we read that as believers, we're like, "Oh yeah, be a fisher of men." And I learned that in Sunday. But imagine Peter for the first time, like. I'm sure he's like what? Catch him in whatever. I'll, whatever. I will follow you. I'm leaving it all. He just kicked down that fence. He could have been stopped right there and said, "Well, what? What am I supposed to do?" He just kicked down the fence. Now we instead of focusing on the what, we need to focus on an entirely different thing. It's not about the what. Okay, Pastor Aaron. Last week he showed a Michael Junior clip. So I get not to be outdone. I'm going to show one this week that helps us answer this question. Let's roll. How do
0: I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The the question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books. I can be in a movie because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is is it's me. I travel around the country, and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. And in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director, cool. yes, sir. All right, so um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, "Amazing Grace." Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That bro could sing you know what I'm saying all right all right um now once you give me the version is if uh your uncle just got out of jail you got shot in the back when you was a kid I'm just saying let me see the hood version real quick if you know which version I'm talking about just see if that exists let me see what you got amazing Okay. Um, here's what I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because
1: you're walking towards or in your purpose. Oh, that's good. Isn't it? It's good. <laughs> Sometimes we're so focused on the what, and I just want you to be reminded that there's a why involved. And the why is to follow Jesus. The why is to serve, even if it's not what we're called to do. The why is to jump in somewhere. Okay, that's the why. Now, how many of you guys have ever been doing something so long that you don't even know why you're doing it anymore? Have you guys ever been to that point? You're like, wake up one day, you're like, why am I even doing this? You can do that with ministry. You can wake up and you're just like, man, I've been doing this over and over and over again. And you end up doing ministry from memory. Like, why am I even doing this? Years ago, had small kids and, and, uh, one of my kids, they, they just, they did not like regular milk. They just would not drink it. We, no matter what, you just couldn't get them to drink it. And so one time we were like, okay, let's just give them chocolate milk. And they're like, they just suck it all down, like chocolate milk. And so we're like, all right, occasionally let's give them some chocolate milk. Pretty soon, occasionally it turns into like every single day. And I'm thinking, man, after a while, this, this kid is getting chocolate milk every single day. I don't get chocolate milk every single day and I'm grown, you know, and I'm eating best choice, always save. I'm, you know, to support this guy's, uh, a chocolate milk addiction, you know, get, you're 18 years old now, get your own cow, you know, this is, we're done. <laughs> and so, uh, just waking up one day, it's like, why are we doing this? We just started it, and now we just don't even know why we're doing this. Uh, years ago, well, today, uh, red Kool-Aid is banned in my house, right? I, for decades, red Kool-Aid has been banned in my house. The other day, I was trying to think, why? we, we banned red Kool-Aid forever, why? And then all of a sudden, I remembered the puke event of 2001, when there was red Kool-Aid that got redeposited all over our light-colored carpet, it looked like a Civil War battlefield. <laughs> I had to give a carpet allowance just to sell the stinking house, so red Kool-Aid got banned forever in my house. I'd been doing it for so long, I forgot why. And, and that's the way it is uh, in our lives when we, we get so focused on the what, we forget the why. Now, uh, here's the thing. What turns into religion? If you just end up doing the what, just to do, just to do, just to do, what turns into religion? Why keeps it out a relationship. If you lose your why, you'll lose your way. I had a pastor, an ex-pastor come in many, many years ago when we were uh, very first starting and he, he wanted to take me out for coffee. I think I'd ended up buying anyway, but anyway, uh, we went out for coffee and he began to tell me, he's like, I'm an ex-pastor and here's what I do. I teach about the end times and the book of Revelation. And that's what I am here for. And I say, well, you know, that's great. But what we really need is somebody to stack chairs. That's what we really need. Well, that was not what he did. And so he left the church kind of like the rich man (laughs) walking away from Jesus. And that was it. And so many times if we just get hung up on the what and we don't knock that down. So some of you guys are facing a what fence right now. You're like, well, I don't know what to do or what I want to do is not available or what. And you've lost your why. Kick down that fence. The second fence is the how fence. Like, I want to get in the game, but how? How do I do what I'm supposed to do? Luke chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, we see this example. It says, And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon says, Master, we have toiled all night and we took nothing. So basically, he's saying, We've already tried to fish the best time and nothing happened. How are we going to catch fish now? It doesn't even make sense. But he continues, he says, nevertheless, but at your word, I'll kick down that fence and I'll just take a step. And sometimes just to knock down the how fence, it just means taking another step. It just means walking one step further. That's the how fence. You don't have to figure all the how out. You just have to start. Tommy Barnett is a, a pastor of a large church in Phoenix. He grew that from the ground up and now there's several thousand people in that church in Phoenix. Now there's another church in their denomination in Los Angeles. This church is called Bethel Temple and this was a very important church to their denomination because it had roots connected with the Azusa revival in the early 1900s. And so they didn't want to see this church uh, dwindle out and die. They wanted to do whatever they could to save it. So they said, let's bring in Tommy Barnett, the heavyweight. He can bring in his son, Matthew Barnett. Matthew was 20 years old, blonde hair, blue eyes, fish out of water, takes him into LA where he does not fit the culture <laughs> whatsoever. But they would say, hey, Tommy Barnett will coach his son and, and we'll build a great church for God and let this church be revived. And so that was the plan. Tommy Barnett would fly in on Thursday and fly back out on Saturday and coach his son. And so, so Matthew Barnett, he was praying to God. He was saying, God, I know I'm supposed to build you a great church. And he put his blood, his sweat, his tears into building God a great church. And as he was putting it out all that time, all that work, he grew that church from 39 people, because there were 39 people there and they were all Filipino, didn't even speak his language. <laughs> and he grew that church from 39 people all the way down to zero. And he's sitting there saying, I'm a failure. He failed his dad, he failed his denomination, he failed the church, but most importantly, he felt like a failure to God. He's like, God, I, and he felt that weight of, God, I, I'm supposed to build you a great church. How many of you guys have ever felt that weight before where are like, man, I just really blew it? And that's what he felt. He's like, I've, I've been trying to build a great church for God, but I've failed. So one night, uh, after another dismal service, he went home and he sat in his room up late at night And he says, as I sat in that room, I felt the presence of the power of God just come into that room. And he said, I knew it was God that was speaking to me because of what he asked me to do. He said that God asked me to go to Echo Park. Now Echo Park at one time in Los Angeles was a very nice park, but it had dwindled down to being in a very unsafe place during the day, let alone at night. And so he knew it must be God if that's what I'm here and going to Echo Park. And so he felt the presence of the power of God and boldly he walked into Echo Park in the middle of the night. And he said, over here I saw police cars, and over here I saw drug dealers, and over here I saw gangbangers, and over here I saw prostitutes, and over here I saw homeless people. And he sat there looking at all those people in that park, and God spoke to him and said, Matthew, you have come here to build a great church for me, but all I want you to do is just love these people. And, and he, had, he had to die to himself of trying to become a success in ministry and simply love people. So he moved his desk out of the church and he put it out on the sidewalk and he just began to meet people, whoever would stop by, and he would try to meet a need that he could. He, he has a motto of find a need and fill it, find a hurt and heal it. And step by step, person by person, he built that church, but it wasn't based on Building a church, it was based on step-by-step loving people. And today there are thousands and thousands of people that attend the church there. But even what's more remarkable is they have a place called the Dream Center, which is over a half million square feet full of levels. They bought an old hospital where they take in drug addicts and prostitutes and and families who have no place to stay and homeless people and, and veterans and all these people to rehabilitate and to get them healthy. And they feed tons of people every single week. It's an amazing thing that's happening. Tommy Barnett, his father, says it this way. He says, our real enemy is not the devil. Our real enemy is our comfort zone. The devil has been defeated. He's not our real enemy. The the real enemy is our comfort zone, and we just have to take another step and step out of that where we're at. Now, just to give you a little taste of what is happening, and I just want you to catch the vision of what happens when you just go step by step and bust through that fence We're gonna roll a clip from the Dream Center and just give you a flavor of what they're all about. So let's roll.
2: The Dream Center was my last place to go because I had been everywhere three times over and you know, this was my last chance.
3: I was hurting people around me and it it didn't affect my life. It didn't hurt me really, you know.
2: I didn't care if I lived or not. I didn't feel like I had a reason to live. I knew that the only way to get saved and to get help and to live again was through God.
4: Our pastor Matthew Barnett was alone in Echo Park and God told him, if you want to build the church that I'm calling you to build, it's going to be a church that's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And every single ministry that's been birthed out of this place over the last 16 years have been birthed out of a need. His slogan is, find a need and fill it, find a hurt and heal it. And that's what we do every single day here at the Dream Center.
3: Pastor Matthew just started knocking on doors in the neighborhood. So he becomes like the neighborhood janitor, right? He starts knocking on doors and just saying, how can I serve you? How can I help you? What do you need? Um, He started this program called Adopt-A-Block, and that evolved because he met a guy that was on drugs, and it wasn't enough just to knock on his door on Saturday or invite him to church on Sunday, but he needed 24-7 recovery. So you got this discipleship program that's a recovery program that he lives in for free, completely free. And so this guy comes in in his life, it's totally recovered step by step, and it's a year-long free program. But then you got teenagers that are runaway teenagers. And so he's like, well, listen, this is another need, and we gotta fill this need. So there's a teen discipleship program now for teenagers recovering.
4: We have trucks that go out every single day into the community, feeding families that need it. It's the largest nonprofit food bank in Los Angeles. A million pounds of food every single month that not just comes in, but then goes out. The medical truck is a really cool thing. It's a fully functioning medical clinic on wheels. They go down into homeless shelters around LA. They go out every single day. And basically what they do is they give medical care for free to those that don't have any insurance. Family came up to Pastor Matthew after service and they had nowhere to go. They were evicted from their apartment had hit hard times, and literally had no place to go that night. I knew that by that next week, we would have a full-blown family floor program. And sure enough, on a Sunday, we brought in our first family, and by the next Sunday, we had an entire floor here at the Dream Center with families that had nowhere to go. Every ministry that starts here started that way. Money follows ministry. So you get in there, you do the ministry. We'll jump in with both feet. We'll figure it out later.
3: There's always something going on. This building to me is... a place of change. It's a place that's changing people's lives. And the crazy thought about it is to think this is 100% not government funded. This is a bunch of donors, a bunch of people giving a dollar, $10, bigger checks, whatever it be, and making this place run every single month.
4: Every day on this property, miracles are happening, God miracles. You can't help but get excited about that. I grew up with an alcoholic father
2: who was kind of angry and abusive, and then I was molested until I was about eight years old by a really close family member. It left me really confused, didn't know what to do, didn't know what was wrong. I started cutting myself and smoking cigarettes, hanging out with the wrong crowd. Then when I was 11, I got addicted to Vicodin, and that just sent me on a downward spiral. And from the time I was 12 until November 27th of 2010, I was addicted to heroin and crystal meth at the same time. I ended up getting pregnant with my boyfriend's child, and about two and a half months into it, I had a miscarriage. I didn't know what to do, so I tried to kill myself. This was my last resort, pretty much. The Dream Center was my last place to go. I went from being physically and mentally addicted to heroin and crystal meth for four years, and now I don't need it at all. It's hard to change, it's hard to look at yourself, and. Scoop out all the bad stuff and scrape all the nasty stuff out of your heart. And I used to worship the devil and now I'm worshiping God. And like, it's not just I believe in him, I have a relationship with him. Like, I feel him. It's not just like, oh, he's out there somewhere in the universe. Like, he's right here with me and he's always going to be there no matter what happens.
4: And that's what we do we rescue people, we rescue the drug addict, we rescue the kid that their parents have given up on them, we rescue the homeless family that has nowhere to go every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Dream Center, which truly is the church that never sleeps, is all about rescuing people.
1: That's powerful, isn't it? To think what happens when somebody just says yes. Somebody just begins to walk it out. Now their story isn't our story. It's not the same, but at the same time, it's the test—a testimony of what happens when you just begin to move. And you don't—you know—I love the line there. That it says that money follows ministry. You know, so many times we're like, "Well, how come the church doesn't do this?" Or "How come this doesn't happen this way?" We, we we're supposed to start, and, and behind that, we come and we, we fuel those things that are God-breathed and that are god birthed. you know? So we just begin to walk those things out. We, we have to knock down this how fence. Uh, Matthew Barnett, this past week, ESPN, did a story on them. Because he started to, uh, this week, is what he's done the last seven days, he's it was participating in the World Marathon Challenge, which is seven marathons in seven days on seven different continents to raise money for the Dream Center. He blew out his knee in, in marathon number four, and he's been limping his way all across throughout the world, uh, finishing this. And it's all a testament to, to that idea of just moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. So I just want to encourage you guys to kick down that fence. Now, the third one is probably the hardest for us. The third fence is the excuse fence. Because we might have figured out the what or got our why back or figured out the how and said, yes, I'm just supposed to start. But then we start to come up with the excuses. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Get a picture of this. There was a fisherman who had a business, and his business, this was the biggest moment for his business, financial increase ever, I'm sure, in his business at one time. It all got dumped on him in one time. This was a great miracle. Jesus came and blessed his business with more income than he had ever seen. And as a result of that, we would think, man, if God came to my business and blessed me more than he ever has with business and money, I must be doing the right thing, and I'm heading in the right direction. Peter does the exact opposite of that. He gets the biggest financial blessing and biggest endorsement from Jesus uh, as far as what you could tell on the externals. And his response to that is to walk away from it all. To walk away from it all. You see, sometimes we misinterpret why God blesses us. Sometimes we misinterpret why certain things happen because we think it's all about us. We think it's all about, you know, God must be endorsing me if he's blessing what I'm doing. That's not always the case at all. Peter changed his life completely as a result of walking away from the biggest blessing his business ever had in that moment he let it all go because he understood it wasn't about that. Now, what we begin to do, and here's where I'm gonna step on more toes. If I haven't already done it, let's do it, okay? Let's just keep going, all right? Here's what we do. Here's where our excuses come in. Uh, there's a, a 2010 study by Princeton University, and they, maybe you've heard of this, but they wanted to try to find out uh, what makes people happy? And they had a bunch of reasons why they did this study and a bunch of different things. Uh, they were trying to figure out at what dollar figure uh, do you, are you the most happiest? Like, what, it, can money buy happiness? And their conclusion was, yes, money can buy happiness up to a certain point. And they pinpointed what they found at the moment was the specific dollar figure that once you hit this amount in yearly income, anything that you earn above that does not equate to more happiness. Everything up to that point, maybe you have a better health insurance, maybe you have better food, maybe you have better health or better living conditions. But once you hit this number, and the number that they came up with was $75,000. They said, when when you have $75,000, you will not get, it doesn't matter, somebody making $575,000 is not going to be happier than the person who's making $75,000. In fact, they're probably gonna be more unhappy. And here's why you become more unhappy. It's because once you reach a certain income level and you start to go beyond that income level and you have more money, then all of a sudden, instead of worrying about some things below that figure, you have new problems to worry about. You have problems like, now I'm making all this money and now I'm afraid to lose all this money. Now I'm making all this money. What, how am I going to manage this money? How am I going to invest this money? going? And you have brand new problems that you have to deal with. Another study a couple years ago actually adjusted that number, and they said the real number, that it's the happiness tipping point for a dollar figure. The real number is more like $50,000. They say once you hit $50,000, you can make as much money as you want more than that, but it will never equate to any more happiness. Isn't that interesting? So here's where I step on the toes. Many of us, even as believers, even with this study, we, we... we're still striving for more and more and more. And we might have two incomes to try to get this magic number that we think is going to happen, make us happy, and we just keep getting more and more and more. And the truth is, even in the natural, they say, you're not going to be any more happy because of this dollar figure. And what ends up happening is the more money we make and the more, and there's nothing wrong with making more money. Just hear me out. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's what I've seen too many times. The more money we get, the more things we accumulate, the more lifestyle we have to maintain so that when God asks us to do what Peter did and leave it all, we can't do it anymore. We're too much in debt. We're too addicted to our lifestyle. We've got too much riding on our current lifestyle that we can't do it. It becomes a major excuse in our life. And I can tell you there are so many people who, who I've come in contact with that cannot follow Jesus and what he's called them to do because of money. That's what Jesus talked about to the rich man. The rich man could not leave it. He walked away sad because he'd built a life that he was unwilling to let go of. And it became a huge hindrance. It became a huge excuse fence. Ten years ago when, when we were called to plant this church, I knew that if we were going to plant this church that I had to be out of debt, And I had to be willing to live the most minimalistic as possible. And so uh, we were out of debt, and we bought a small house. It wasn't a tiny house, like you know, tiny, but it was a tiny house for seven people to live in. And we lived on an income for seven people in the United States of America. It was in the 30s, okay, per year for a for a uh, family of seven. I literally could not afford a cup of coffee. Now that's a first word problem, but hey, for me, it's still a problem, okay? But I could not afford. A cup of coffee because things were so, so tight for years. Okay? We we would spend a very small amount on groceries. I mean, we had everything had to work out right. But I did not see that as a sacrifice at all because I was living the call that God had for our lives. Journey church would not have happened had I not made not let go of that excuse. And so what I'm saying is, I've I've talked to so many people, and and they're like, I could never live on less than this amount. And it's a lot more than what I just said. I could never live below this. And I I would just say, you've decided that you can't. Here's what I also know. Randy Alcorn talks about this. And he said that we are responsible as believers to set our own salary. So even if you are called to make enormous amounts of money, it doesn't mean you're called to consume enormous amounts of money. That at some point, maybe you're going to make millions of dollars. But God says, Okay, well, hold on. Set your own salary. And he gives you a number at what you're actually supposed to live off of. And everything else was intended not for you to consume, but intended to bless others with. I'm just planting that seed. I'm not saying that's for you. I'm just planting a seed that maybe that could be the case. But most of what, pe- what we do is we just build bigger and build our bigger barns and build bigger and build. And there's nothing wrong with those things. I'm just saying we've got to get to the point where those things don't have us as an excuse that keep us from following God. we got to kick down. The excuse fence. Because here's the deal: at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, and we stand before God, our regrets are gonna be our excuses. The things we made excuses about are the things when we stand before God, that will be what we regret most. And we gotta kick those things down now. I was gonna show you a video. Uh, ruled it out, the other services. So. But here's the basic idea. Steve Smith was a f- football player and he retired not too long ago. And this clip is all talking about how much he loved getting in the game and how, much, how hard it was for him to retire and all of these things and, and, and all you know, the plays and the years and the memories. And somebody finally at the end of the clip asked him, what, what do you say your legacy is? And he said, you know what? My legacy is that I was just a little kid that became a fan, that became a player. And I hope at the end of my life that I'll be able to stand before God and say I went from a fan to a player. I went from a person who was sitting on the sidelines to being a person that got in the game. That's what I, and I think, here's where you gotta understand. In the kingdom of God, everything is upside down. What the kingdom of God values, the world doesn't seem to value. And what the world values, the kingdom of God doesn't seem to value. And so here's how that applies to us. I believe at the end you know, the world values a stage and being up in front of people, but the kingdom, I don't think it values that. I don't think God values that. I mean, this is what I'm called to do, but I think when we get to eternity, it's gonna be reversed, and it's gonna be the people behind the scenes that are celebrated. It's gonna not be the stage people. It's gonna be the praying mamas. It's gonna be the, the people who served in obscurity. It's gonna be the people who did the jobs that no one else wanted to do and did it with a smile, it's going to be the people who are willing to encourage and be faithful to God every time they told him to step out and give some money or to step out. The people who were faithful and said, I'm not an attender, I'm a follower. And I believe those are what is going to be celebrated. You know, Scripture says that those things that are secret in the hidden rooms will be one day shouted from the rooftops. Sometimes I think we, we only think of that in a negative sense and say, well, one day all my secret sins are going to be shouted from the rooftops. I don't think it means that as much as it means sometimes those hidden things that no one else saw, when we get to eternity, those are the things that are gonna be proclaimed and celebrated and said, look what happened that no one saw until eternity. I just wanna challenge you, get in the game. You don't have to be on a stage, but get in the game somewhere. Can we stand up as we close up in prayer? I'd like to do away, and I know this is a play on words. I understand what this means. But I don't want to be a conservative Christian. Here's what I mean by that. I'm not talking about values, but I don't want to be a conservative Christian. I want to be a radical, on fire, living the adventure, all in Christian. I don't want anything to be conservative about my following Jesus. I want to be a radical, all in follower of Jesus Christ. Get in the game. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you so much that you love us too much to leave us where we are. And you are calling us all the time and you are saying, don't attend me, but follow me. And as we follow you, we know that the scenery begins to change, and we know that there are sacrifices that are made. But we also know that there's a, a ultimate joy and fulfillment. It's never really a sacrifice to follow you and to fulfill our call. It's only a joy that gets on in the inside of us, unspeakable and full of glory. Lord, I pray today that as we've talked about this, that maybe some are challenged, maybe some are offended, maybe some are inspired. Lord, that you would lead us to, to see those things that you've called us to do. That you you challenge us on the inside to get in the game. That you'd you'd bring faces and ideas to mind and visions. And I pray that you'd resurrect old dreams, the things that were die, that, that were dead and dying. And, and that you, we just speak resurrection life back into that in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would call people up to their purpose. And Lord, we want to walk with you every single day of our lives. We make that declaration just like Peter. And we say, I'm going to leave everything so that I can follow you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship one more time.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.